Thanks so much for the music this morning, Eric and Brett and everyone else, ladies who helped. It was a a blessing. Um, If you have your Bibles, please turn with me to the book of Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. As you turn there, just a real quick reminder that there is no uh, Redeemer Kids and Redeemer Sprouts this morning or Tots, but if you have children with you and you need somewhere to go, those spaces are still available. And so we just don't have any formal child care workers back there, so, but feel free if you need to get up and, and, and take your child out there, feel free. There's toys back there, and just like always, there's just not any formal workers, so... Let's begin reading in Philippians chapter 3. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 11. Philippians chapter 3. It says this, Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it changes us. We thank you for your spirit. God, we pray that your spirit would be active and moving in our hearts, shaping us to be more like Jesus. And Lord, I pray that especially today as we approach the the Christmas holiday, that we would have a view of Christ that would create in us affection and love and true worship of him. Lord, we thank you for this church. We thank you for the work that you are doing. We pray that it would continue today. In Jesus' name, amen. This is the second week that we're looking at these verses, this passage in Philippians 3. Last week we spent our entire time considering what it means for Christians to be clothed in the righteousness of Christ. So that's, we focus primarily on verses 2 through 9, okay? But today, I want us to look at these same verses, 1 through 11, and we're going to focus our attention on verses 8 through 11. So look at verse 8 with me real quick. It says this, Indeed, I count everything as loss 
because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Now when you read these words, the surpassing worth of knowing Christ, I hope that your interest is piqued. I know mine is. That's a huge idea, right? Paul is saying that knowing Christ, knowing Christ is better than all of these things he just listed. So I hope that you're asking the question, well, what is it about Jesus that makes him better? I hope that when you read this passage, that question comes into your mind. Do I know this surpassing worth? And so today, we're going we're gonna to spend a brief time looking at what makes Jesus better. What does it mean to know the surpassing worth of Christ? And there's three things I want us to see from this passage. There's probably more, but... In our limited time, I want us to look at three reasons why Jesus is better. Number one, because we are counted righteous in Christ. Number two, because we share in his sufferings. And number three, because we have been raised with Christ. Those are my three points. So let's look at the first one. The first reason why Jesus is so valuable, why knowing him surpasses everything else is because in Christ we are counted righteous. Now, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this first point because this is what I preached on last week. And so if I say something here then you have questions about or you want to learn more about Go to our website, and I think it's up now. I think it wasn't up all week, but it, the sermon from last week should be up now. It's up. Thumbs up. All right. And so um, if you want to know more about this, um, this idea, then go listen to last week's sermon. But what makes Christ better, according to this passage, according to the Apostle Paul, is that in Christ we are counted righteous. Here's a summary. Our biggest problem in life, your biggest problem in life and mine is that we are unrighteous sinners. We've chosen to worship ourselves, the gods of our own imaginations, rather than the one true holy God of Scripture. And because of this, we justly deserve God's wrath and condemnation. Every one of us deserves eternal separation from God in hell. Hell is a real place. There will be physical suffering there for all eternity. That is your biggest problem. That's my biggest problem. We must be righteous, but we have all failed to live up to that righteousness. And yet we seek Human beings seek to make ourselves righteous in all kinds of ways, particularly through religious exercise and personal effort. We're always trying to do something to set ourselves apart from everyone else, right? To make ourselves appear righteous and prove to God or some deity that we are worthy of his acceptance. Now, what are these things for Paul? We talked about this last week. Look back in, this, in these verses. What does Paul mention? What are all the things that he was putting his hope in? Circumcised on the eighth day, right? He was, he was Jewish. That was huge. That was the mark, the identifying mark of a Jew, circumcised on the eighth day. An Israelite of the tribe of Benjamin. 
a Hebrew of Hebrews. His lineage was pure, right? There was no Gentile mixture in Paul's lineage. He was a zealous persecutor of Christians. He was so engaged and so he wanted so much to be uh, a law follower that he persecuted and arrested those who did not follow the law, the religious law. And he was blameless under the law. Those are all the things that Paul was putting his hope in. These were all of his qualifications. So if Paul were to die, he would have stood before God, and if God were to ask him, why should I let you into heaven, Paul would have said, Lord, I've been circumcised. I'm an Israelite. I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. My lineage is pure. I was so zealous for you and your glory that I actually punished people who didn't believe the right things. And I've obeyed your law. I'm blameless under your law. But what does Paul now say about these things? Whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of knowing Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, All of those things are garbage. They are trash. They are to be thrown out in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. All of those things that Paul put his hope in, he realized would never make him righteous. They don't deal with the heart, right? No matter what religious duties we perform, no matter what spiritual experiences we claim, there is nothing we can do to atone for our sin and make ourselves righteous before a holy God. And this brings us to this point. What makes Christ more valuable than all of those things? Because when we are united with Christ by faith, we are clothed with His righteousness his righteousness that's the answer to our biggest problem you see you cannot earn a righteousness for yourself we cannot do enough good things to prove that we deserve God's favor our only hope is that we receive a righteousness apart from the law apart from ourselves one that comes from outside of us And that can only happen because 2,000 years ago, Jesus came to earth. He lived a perfect life that you and I cannot live. His righteousness can become yours today by faith. That solves our biggest problem. And that truth alone, (laughs) that truth alone makes Christ the most valuable person, the most valuable possession, the most valuable treasure that we could ever receive. So Paul can say that he knows the surpassing value, the surpassing worth of Jesus Christ, because in Christ, he is counted righteous. If you're here today and you don't know the surpassing worth of Jesus Christ, your Lord, if you spent your whole life striving and working and willing yourself to be righteous and living in fear because you know you stand condemned before God, then I plead with you today, 
lay your burdens down. Rest in the finished work of Jesus on your behalf. His righteousness is all you need, and it's your only hope to escape the wrath of God. That's a summary of last week's sermon. And my first point, knowing the surpassing worth of Christ is being counted righteous in Christ. That's not just receiving His righteous life. It also means, number two, we share in His sufferings. Look at verse 10. That I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and may share His sufferings becoming like Him in His death. Remember, we're asking the question, what makes knowing Christ more valuable than anything else in the world? Here I'm saying, because when we know Christ, we share in his sufferings. Now, this does not sound like good news for us, right? I'm supposed to be talking about the surpassing worth of Jesus, right? These are supposed to be good, positive things, right? To make us feel really good. But to share in Christ's sufferings? That doesn't sound very encouraging. Didn't Christ suffer for us so that we don't have to suffer? No. Actually, nowhere in Scripture does it say anything about that. In fact, over and over in the New Testament, we are told that Christians will face trials and suffering. Most of the New Testament was written by men who were suffering and was written to Christians who were suffering. So, yes, we will suffer. And oftentimes, God appoints some of the hardest, most intense seasons of suffering for those who belong to him. But this truth is meant to bring us great comfort today. To know the surpassing worth of Christ means we share in his sufferings. That doesn't mean that we simply suffer because Christ suffered. That's not what Paul means when he talks about sharing in the sufferings of Jesus. Look again at verse 10. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection, and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. You see, when Christians join Christ in his suffering, that means we suffer the way Christ suffered. We suffer the way Jesus suffered. We encounter our suffering with the heart and the attitude and response of Christ. Sharing in the sufferings of Jesus has a purpose, you see. When we suffer with Christ, we become like him, as Paul says, in his death. What was Jesus like in his death? How did Jesus die? How did he physically suffer? He was humble, right? He was quiet, He did not seek retaliation or vengeance. He was more concerned for the interests of others than for himself. He did not accuse or point fingers. He did not grow angry or discontent. Even while hanging on a cross at his death, he prayed for his murderers. He was completely dependent upon his father for everything he needed, even in his suffering. This means that for us 
to share in the sufferings of Christ really means that God has designed the Christian walk so that all of our suffering produces something in us. What is it that God is producing in us? It's Christ-likeness. This is what Paul is talking about, I think. To share in the sufferings of Jesus is to walk the road that Jesus walked. And to walk that road means that we are slowly but surely becoming more like him. And the primary instrument God uses to produce Christ-likeness in his children is oftentimes suffering and hardship. Church, do you believe this today? When have you experienced the most growth in your walk with the Lord? When have you experienced the nearness and the comfort of the Holy Spirit more than ever? Is it when everything in your life is going exactly the way you thought it would go? Or when everything is right and rosy? Sure, those times are great, right? I really hope that when those times come, you repeatedly turn to God in gratitude and thanksgiving, realizing he's the one that that brought those blessings into your life. But most likely, if we're honest, many of us would probably say that it's been the hard times, right? The difficult times when we've experienced the spiritual blessings of God most poignantly. And church, if the Christian life doesn't have anything to offer us during our suffering and trials, then what's the point, right? If the only time we experience goodness and blessing from God is when our circumstances are pleasant, then Christ will be absent from most of our lives because many of us will spend Large portions of our lives experiencing hardship and trial and suffering. Where will your hope be found when a loved one or maybe you are diagnosed with an incurable illness? Where will your hope be found when you get laid off or there's marital strife or when your teens rebel in devastating ways or your parents get divorced or in the death of a child? Some of you are experiencing suffering right now as the holidays are upon us. You miss loved ones who have passed away. You wish you had someone to share these times with. For many, you see, the holidays are some of the most lonely and discouraging times. But today, God wants us to know that the surpassing worth of Jesus means that when we encounter suffering or trial or hardship, and we will, we remember that all of our suffering is meant for something greater. It is not purposeless. There is a plan and purpose in all of it. God is accomplishing something bigger than ourselves. You see, God's plan for our suffering, to join Christ in suffering, means that God is weaning us off from our dependence upon the world. Suffering is a regular reminder that this world is passing away and to place our ultimate hope in anything other than Jesus will leave us wanting more. 
C.S. Lewis, in one of my favorite quotes, says, If we find ourselves with a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that we were made for another world. And church, nothing reminds us that this world cannot satisfy our greatest desires more than suffering. And when the suffering comes, and we see firsthand how the answers of the world are not enough and how desperate we are for in, without an eternal perspective, then those who belong to Jesus turn their eyes upon him and cast their cares upon him and press into his word with renewed vigor. And whether the trial lasts three hours or 30 years, the result is greater and greater dependence upon Christ. He becomes your greatest hope. He becomes your greatest joy and your most treasured possession. That's what God is doing. That's what it means to walk, to share in the sufferings of Jesus, to walk the road of trial, to walk the road of hardship. And when those times come, our heart goes out for him. We see the futility of this world, the things that are passing away, and we look to the things that are eternal. Our dependence upon Christ grows. So do you see how Paul can say that he wants to know the surpassing worth of Jesus? Do you see how Jesus is better? Do you want more contentment in things that are eternal? You're going to have to suffer. Do you want more lasting joy in the Lord? You're probably going to have to suffer. Do you want to know Christ as your most valuable possession? You're going to have to face trials and hardship. But church, let's not fear suffering. Let's not fear bad news. Let's not fear things not going our way. Let's prepare ourselves for it. And when it comes... We won't be surprised. We will be satisfied in Christ. Because, as Paul says later in Philippians, we have learned the secret of contentment. Because knowing Christ is better anyway. So what does it mean to know the surpassing worth of Christ? First, it means we know his righteousness. We're clothed in his righteousness. Second, it means we share in his sufferings, becoming more like him as we face trial and hardship. And last, it means we share in his resurrection. We could spend a long time on what it means to share in the resurrection of Jesus. We have been raised with him. Today, I want us to consider two ways, two ways this is true for those who are united with Christ. What does it mean to be raised with Christ, to join him in his resurrection? That seems very strange, right? He, raised from the, he was raised from the dead 2,000 years ago. That's great. That's awesome. But what does that mean? What does it mean for us to join him or to share in his resurrection? Look at verse 10 and 11 again. That I may know him. And the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Notice how Paul mentions the resurrection twice here. First, he mentions knowing the power of Christ's resurrection. And then he mentions attaining the resurrection from the dead. 
I think he's talking about two effects that the resurrection of Christ has on us as Christians. First, Christ followers have already been raised with Jesus in newness of life. And second, those who persevere to the end will be raised with Christ at the final resurrection. So let's tackle the first one first. First, we have already been raised with Christ. This is true of us. If you're in Christ, you have been raised to walk in newness of life. Does that sound familiar? Like from Romans 6, which says this, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? You were buried, therefore, with him by baptism, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. So there's a connection between the bodily resurrection of Jesus, since Jesus was raised from the dead bodily, therefore, you and I can walk in newness of life. We join him in his resurrection Because we are spiritually raised from the dead, given a new identity to go live and walk in newness of life. Those who are united with Christ by faith have their sins forgiven. And they are clothed with the righteousness of Christ. And being united with Christ means also living a new resurrected life. Now what does a resurrected life look like? Well... There's a lot of things. Think about 2 Corinthians, what Paul says in 2 Corinthians, that we are new creations. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. If you're a Christian, you know this to be true to some degree, right? By God's grace, we can look back at different points in our lives and say, I am not the same person I was back then, right? Those who belong to God are being changed, albeit slowly at times, from one degree of glory to another. If you have children, you know what this process is like, maybe. When you look at your kids every day, you probably don't notice as much how they are changing and growing from day to day. But when you pull out that photo album, that's a book with the, like, printed out pictures and stuff, right? I mean, when you get on Google Photos, that's what I meant, and you look back, right? You, you look at those old photos from what, six months ago, five years ago, and then you see, oh, man, I remember when Silas looked like that. I remember when Nella was a baby, and then you see, you notice the change, Right? The same way happens in the Christian life. That's sanctification. We don't really feel the day-to-day changing and shaping and molding that God is doing in us from day to day as much. But when we look back and we say, I remember who I was. Even as a, a Christian, five years ago, ten years ago, I'm not the same. That's the work of God in us. That's being raised to walk in the newness of life. It's that new identity that we've been given, and God is changing us and shaping us and molding us to walk more and more the road with Christ, becoming more like him in his death and resurrection. Now, you may not feel very different from day to day, 
But brothers and sisters, God is at work in your life to conform you to the image of Christ. You are a new creation. We have to get this. We have to understand our new identity in Christ. You have been clothed in the righteousness of Jesus. So now go and live in accordance with that new resurrected nature. That's what it means to be raised with Christ. A new identity. You're new. You're different. You're not the same. You're not in bondage to those sins anymore. You don't have to follow that, those fleshly desires. God has given you a new nature. Now go walk in it. You've been raised to walk in newness of life. And then second, being united with Christ in his resurrection means that we will one day experience bodily resurrection. We could spend a lot of time talking about this. But the tr- this truth is meant to be another great comfort for those who are suffering. Kings and queens and dictators can kill the body, but they cannot kill the soul. Cancer and disease can kill the body, but they cannot kill the soul. Natural disasters and car crashes and miscarriages, they can all kill the body, but they cannot kill the soul. What greater comfort can Paul have while sitting in prison? What's the worst that could happen? I die and go be with my Lord? What does Paul say about that in Philippians 1? To live is Christ and to die is gain anyway. Right? See, there's no greater comfort for those who are suffering than the, res- the bodily resurrection of Jesus. To be united with Christ in his resurrection finally means that one day at his return, all of those who belong to him will be raised, their souls will be reunited with a physical body. And we will live in the new heaven, in the new earth, with our exalted reigning King Jesus. Friends, there is no greater comfort for us. I know it's Christmas and not Easter, but the birth of Christ means very little without the resurrection. What greater comfort can we have today than the bodily resurrection of Christ? No matter what you are going through today, no matter what God's providence brings into your life in the future, no one can take this promise away from you. One day you will be raised. You will be given a new resurrected body and we will live under the perfect rule of our risen king. Take comfort in that today. So for the past two weeks, we've looked at this passage, verses 1 through 11. There's only one verse I haven't really talked about. It's verse 1. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. Our theme for this sermon series is Philippians, the epistle of joy. Joy, rejoicing is all over 
Philippians. We're in the middle of a Christmas season where we're encouraged over and over to rejoice in the birth of our Savior. But see, the great thing about God is that he doesn't just command us to be happy. You should be happy. Go be happy, right? Yes, he does command us to be happy. But then he fills his word with reason after reason after reason for why we should rejoice. He gives us reasons for rejoicing. He reminds us of the incredible benefits of knowing Christ. If you're here today and you have faith in Christ, you are united with him. If you are united with him, your sins are forgiven. You have been clothed with his righteousness. You share in his suffering so that you can become more like him. And you have been raised to new life so that you are now free to live a life of humble service for his glory. And finally, no matter what this life brings your way, you can rest assured that one day, you will be raised with Jesus and given a new body to live under the rule of his perfect kingship. It is this king that we celebrate this week as we remember his birth. Church, we have every reason to rejoice. Look what we have been given. We've been given the greatest treasure we could ever imagine It's Christ himself. There is nothing more precious, nothing more valuable than the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus our Lord. Let's join Paul this morning in knowing and seeing and enjoying the surpassing worth of our Lord Jesus Christ. And let's turn our eyes now and our hearts to him as we sing and worship. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, what a joy it is for us to reflect on all of the spiritual benefits we have in Christ. But Lord, I pray that now as we, as we worship and as we prepare to leave, that our, our minds and hearts would not just be on the benefits that we have, as glorious and magnificent as they are, but that we would glory in Christ because to have his benefits is to have him. Turn our eyes to Jesus now in worship. I pray that he would be exalted in our hearts, in our lives, in our homes this week. We pray this in his name. Amen.